Hi, welcome to Race House with me, Joe Lee. And me, Darren Reeves. A special episode today because we have um, a very special guest to talk about F1 stories. And I think we've talked about many an episode when you know, people go to the races, you know, they they have these amazing stories. It's an amazing weekend, wherever you're sat, if it's up in the grandstands, if you're up on a hill, or if you're in the paddock club, down the pit lane, you come back with amazing experiences. And also the stuff that you're doing in town, you know, if you're staying in Budapest, or if you're in Suzuka or somewhere, or Abu Dhabi, um, you come away with these amazing things. Um, and, the, and the cast of characters, if you work there long enough, as we have, Darren, you know, um, F1, six, seven years now, you do meet this recurrent cast of characters who kind of form part of F1 um, and the kind of the craziness of the world that you kind of uh, start to inhabit, don't you? Yeah, well, it's very crazy, Joe. Um, you know, I've been wrapped up in this world for, since the turn of the century, actually, since 2000. What, 1900? Uh, with it. That's <laughs> oh, it, yeah. <laughs> it's the, beard, the beard is going grey. So, uh, so um, <clears throat> you know, it's, um, <clears throat> it, it's really interesting, the types of people that you come across, because Formula One isn't just about 20 drivers. It's about thousands of people that uh, mm. are in the circus that is Formula One. And, and you and I have been a big part of that, Joe, over the last six, seven years. And uh, the guest we're going to bring on is is a lot longer than that. Well, would you like to do an intro for our, our esteemed guest? Well, I'd, um, yeah, I'd like to introduce you to a really good friend of mine who, uh, who uh, I've got to know personally as a friend and also professionally in Formula One, and his name is Charlie Feather. Let's bring Charlie into the podcast. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Polite hi, hi, Charlie. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good, Darren. How are you? How are you, mate? Yeah. Joe, good um, to see you. Uh -huh. hey, well, I, Welcome I, to I, the podcast. Yeah, welcome, Charlie. It's uh, I'm uh, I'm 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 recovering from a crazy few weeks uh, of traveling all around the world, and uh, and some of it is your fault, Charlie, and 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 a lot of my life has been Joe's fault for the last few years as well. So between between the two of you, good I've got a lot of. Then. <laughs> it is good I'm in the middle, yeah. Between the two of you, I've got a lot to thank you for and a lot to blame you both for as well, but. Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, um, Charlie, it's great to have you on here. And I've wanted to do this for a few months, actually, since since Joe and I started Race House. I was thinking, yeah. who could we get on? Who could who we could chat about Formula One and the world of Formula One? And uh, and you were the first person that came to mind, Charlie. Oh, so uh, you're the first person available. Uh, <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> you're short of mates. Eh? Is that it? <laughs> Well, maybe we can start, Charlie. I mean, that with um, obviously we have such a big love for F one. When did you first uh, get your love for Formula One? I think probably when I was um, actually it was probably late, later on in life when I was sort of in my twenties. And um, yeah, I went to Silverstone a few times, and uh, you know, I just loved the sort of the buzz of the place and what was going on. And yeah, I sort of that's that's I, I love the sort of what was going on around the actual racing more than anything. Um, the racing side of it, I know Darren's passionate about all that. I love all the razzmatazz that goes with it. Um, hence why we then started this party brand in Formula One for many years. But that 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 was really what attracted me to it in the first place was you know, there's so much going on and it was, su it was such an alive event. Um, no, Charlie, that's that's. That's really interesting because uh, it's exactly, I know nothing about cars, basically. But what mm. I do love is I love competition 
and I love sport and I love entertainment. And the thing that attracted me was just the scale of what I could see on television. Uh, you know, whether you're, you know, whether you're looking at the sponsorship, whether you're looking, you know, at the pit girls holding the boards as a teenager or whatever it was, it was just like, how does this all happen? You know, yeah. and th so I totally and utterly understand why that uh, the word I used a minute ago was circus of yeah. one. It, it's not just 20 drivers. It's thousands of people that make <laughs> this the greatest show on earth. Basically. The circus as well. It's all about entertainment. Sorry to, to yeah. jump in, but like, but you talked about entertainment and and the party brand. So, what did you bring to Formula One then, Charlie? Well, so f f actually, funny enough, I, unbeknown to us until recently, Darren and I met in Monaco in two thousand and one. Uh, actually, well, maybe it was two thousand and two thousand. Yeah, I did the first ever Grand Prix ball in Monaco in in that year. And we had Bjorn again as one of the bands performing at the at the ball. Mm -hmm. And Darren was playing the keyboards for Bjorn again. And obviously I didn't know didn't know him at the time, never met him at the time. But and then we met, you know, a couple of years ago and we found that we had this connection that we'd had 20 odd years ago. Uh, but we both hadn't realized that, which was quite spooky, really. And well, I think I think we met, didn't we? We both <laughs> we, we we met carrying a set of golf clubs each at Old Thorns Golf Club, didn't we? On a on a, uh, a charity day uh, yes. for Port, for Portsmouth Football Club. And, That's right. Uh, and the the lads had said to me, "You must meet our buddy Charlie. He does stuff in Formula One." Apparently, they were saying to Charlie, "You must meet our buddy Darren. He does stuff in Formula One." And uh, and that, there, was one, that... there was one there was one big difference. Darren's oh. very good at golf, and I'm crap. <laughs> well, me and you're gonna get on, Charlie, very well. This, uh, I'm good at the uh, the 19th hole, uh, probably as you are as well. Uh, but your first um, Grand Prix ball was in Monaco, then. And, no, well, um, actually, no, the, the first one was actually at Silverstone at Stowe School, and my business partner, who's uh, my my greatest friend, a chap called Paul Marshall. Um, we <clears throat> we were we'd gone up to Silverstone for a meeting to do something with hospitality or something. And he went, oh, he said, let's, let's drop in at um, my old school and I'll show you it. And it's Stowe School, which is on the doorstep of Silverstone. Hmm. And it's a, I don't know if you've ever been to Stowe, but it's the most beautiful, you know, beautiful building, beautiful grounds. And uh, anyway, we stood on the south front steps overlooking the lake and beautiful vista of all these beautiful, you know, buildings in the background. Did he propose? Well, <laughs> it like may as well have done because that was where the Grand Prix ball was born. And we said, we said, look, we're missing a trick here. I said, you've got all this going on a mile up the road, all this, you know, this glamorous industry of Formula One, and they don't do any parties. It's crazy. And there's nothing going on for the sponsors or the, you know, the VIPs. So we, we created the Grand Prix ball. And um, Silverstone was the first one in 1997 at Stowe. We had Jules Holland came and performed. Um, he brought with him Ruby Turner and she was amazing. And, um, you know, we were very, we were very wet behind the ears in those days. We sort of, we did everything on the back of a fag packet really. And um, we didn't really know what we were doing, but we, we pulled it off the first one and, uh, and we drew it from there. And we, we went, uh, we then created the ball at Monaco, Montreal, uh, Indianapolis for a few years, um, Hockenheim, we even did one in Hockenheim, Milan, 
and 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 it was a it was a great brand um and and we had a lot of fun and we had some incredible entertainers artists come and perform for us um and it was it was a great event because there are a lot of people in formula one and particularly sponsors who were there for a weekend and they loved going to a big glamorous party and that's exactly what it was it was a glamorous party um well well, Charlie, um, the, the, the thing that I remember uh, in the 90s is I would go to Silverstone every year and have a seat in the grandstands, whether on Club Corner or Stowe Corner or on the start-finish straight. And I remember every month I would buy Formula One racing magazine and I would read this thing from cover to cover and I would see these adverts for the Grand Prix ball at Stowe School and yeah. I just looked at it as a budding musician, 20-something-year-old, trying to build my career. I remember looking at it going, how do you get to these events? How can I possibly perform at these events? How, you know, I, who do, I don't know anyone. And uh, it's amazing because I just remember seeing it. And it was in the 90s, so it could well have been the first or second one you did. But I just paid real attention to it. Mate, not knowing anything at the time. You dialed the number on the advert and bought a ticket. <laughs> You're absolutely right, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's what's funny now is that you dreamt of being a guest. Working in events, I still dream of being a guest because now we're building these events and we create these events. And so you see the loading bay more than you do the drinks reception. Um, yeah. But it's great well, that you, you you took that brand and you, kind of, you built it up and you went worldwide with it, which is, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, um, I mean... Tell Sorry. Me. So go on, Charlie. Tell me. And the, yeah, no, no. I was, I, I, was gonna, sorry, I, I interrupted you. you. You carry on, Joe. Sorry. No, I mean, you built this amazing brand, but I mean, uh, working in events as, as uh, Darren and I do, you know, it's a lot of hard work, especially the logistics of F1, because this is the circus tent, essentially, which, you know, sucks up everything, the energy or the, you know, the, the people's involvement and all the attention and focus and then it pops up and goes into another place and plonks down yeah. it's a huge logistical challenge what kind of challenges did you face when you were doing this worldwide we we, we had uh the, the challenges were that we we had to make it um the the best event that you could want to possibly want to come to and therefore we would always have a big name artist come and perform we would have a well-known international chef doing all the catering um like i said gordon ramsay and people like that would come and do all the food for us you know some of the artists we've had perform we've had lionel richie sting we even had beyonce at silverstone one year um, charlie tell me tell me tell us the story about beyonce oh my god yeah so this was this was this was just i mean it was in the early days of beyonce before she became the big beyonce that we all know now it was, she must have just left Destiny's Child, I think. Uh, but she was still a fortune. And um, anyway, we we had this sponsor who was keen to have Beyonce at the Grand Prix Ball. So, uh, you know, she was a lot of money. And the rider for her to come over from the States with all her crew was just, I mean, huge. Never seen anything like it. Anyway, but she 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 arrived. And I never forget we we had a big marquee up on the on the north front of Stowe School, beautiful beautiful place, and it was started actually we started off we had Nobu doing the doing sushi 
as people arrived on the lawn it was it was fantastic we had we had the stage we had the whole of the london philharmonic orchestra performing while people were having drinks and all building up to the big beyonce moment anyway she arrived and it had started to rain i mean when i say rain it was literally stair rods coming down and this big limo pulled up at the back of the marquee and i sort of wandered out with my umbrella to sort of go and greet beyonce and uh, anyway i just arrived at the, the car door and this the, the passenger door opened and this enormous chap got out and he just looked at me and he went uh, he said uh, miss beyonce will not be getting out of the vehicle and i went oh i said uh, well what, what, why is that then and he said well because uh, one or two things needs to happen and i said right what's that he said one is it either stops raining or you build a walkway to the car. <laughs> so I said, I looked, the, I looked at the sky and I went, well, there's no chance of it stopping raining. So um, and we literally, we had to build. I, luckily, there were some marquee people were still hanging around. I was going to say, how did you do that? So you had the marquee guys, okay. 45 minutes later, we built a, a covered walkway. And I'm talking about, it was 20 yards to walk. That, that's all it was. It was 20 yards. Uh, and I had this big umbrella. Anyway, we, we, we built this thing over the car. And after we'd done that, then she stepped out and walked in. And uh, that was our, that was the start of the Beyonce night. <laughs> Did she smash it? Did she perform well? She was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, amazing. And and the whole show, you know, with all the dancers and everything, because we had this massive stage because we'd had the Philharmonic on it earlier. Um, it was spectacular. Yeah, it was great. Oh, and those and those were, you know, the types of events we wanted to create for people because it was, you know, we had, you know, lots of the Formula One sponsors at the time would support it and they'd want to sponsor it. Um, we actually, we had a, we had a, there was a, a McLaren sponsor called Finlandia Vodka. Um, I mean, completely the wrong fit for McLaren. They had a bunch of Finns who just wanted to go partying. And of course, McLaren was a very, you know, tight ship run by Ron Dennis at the time. And it was, it was, you know, very much about the motor racing and that was it. And they had Finlandia Vodka as one of their sponsors who just wanted to go partying. Anyway, it was great because we had the ball and they supported that hugely for many years and they'd arrive with you know with pallet loads of vodka being delivered and to all these events and they bring all the mixologists and and it was great fun they were they were a wonderful wonderful lot to have alongside us for many years um, well finlando if you're listening then uh race house could do with a vodka sponsor we definitely <laughs> <laughs> a few balls left mate <laughs> Do you know, it's interesting about all the sponsorships in Formula One over the years, because obviously Segret sponsorship was huge, wasn't it, through the 70s yeah. and 80s? Yeah. And uh, and obviously we're now talking about alcohol sponsorship, but these the two things just do not fit in the world of driving at no. all, do they? No. Uh, however, however, you know, they do fit into the world of partying at Formula One, you know, yeah. and ultimately there's only 20 people really driving at these events. Everybody else is on a, in a taxi or an Uber, or I'm promoting again, Joe, another sponsor for us, um, you know, or, or in fact, as Joe and I were, which was golf buggies and electric scooters, weren't we in Abu Dhabi a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, the alcohol is a huge part of the event. Yeah. 
Well, we were we were we were very fortunate as well in that um, uh, Eddie Jordan was a was a huge um, help to us and and a big part of the uh, the Grand Prix ball and uh, and I think without Eddie's help and involvement, we probably couldn't have carried off pretty much. A how did you how did you meet Eddie, Charlie? So I met Eddie. Eddie was um, my my wife at the time uh, worked in Formula One. She was she used to have a, an events business. They used to run the um, hospitality for uh, Philip Morris. And um, so she'd been in Formula One for quite a while and uh, she's Irish and was great mates with Eddie. So I was introduced to EJ through through Ray and uh, and we, we became great mates. And um, he's actually godfather to one of our kids and uh, yeah, he he was, and of course, in those days, the Jordan Grand Prix team was the rock and roll team of Formula One. You know, Eddie's was was famous for the you know the post race concerts that he put on Art Silverstone after the race, and you know with Damon Hill on the guitar and Johnny Herbert up on the stage, and you know they were they were great days, and and I guess we sort of followed on from that really in terms of by creating something a little bit more glamorous. Um, and Eddie would always come along with his set of drums. It's before he set up his band, The Robbers. And, um, you know, he, we'd always have to set up an extra set of drums alongside whoever was performing. I mean, one year we had the Stereophonics. And, uh, and of course, they're big, big stage. And, uh, and we got Eddie's drums, <laughs> drum kit <laughs> set up next to the Stereophonics drummer and, you know, drumming away. And uh, little Eddie, no, we... <laughs> We turned down the volume on his drum set, um, but uh, yeah, and he he played. We had the Stranglers one year. They came and played. He played with the Stranglers, and uh, and then and then a bit later on, he'd formed the band, and they'd come and play at pretty well all our events as well. But um, in fact, one year, we, when was it? Must I think it was two thousand and eight. We uh, we did a charity cricket match, the Eddie Jordan Eleven against the Alan Lamb 11 on the cricket pitch at Stowe on the Saturday of the British Grand Prix. And um, and we had, it was hilarious. I mean, Eddie came into bat, Irish, never played cricket in his life, scored 50 runs. Um, <laughs> Amazing. And, uh, and Lammy brought all the, the South Africa touring at the time and uh, doing a test tour in the summer. And a few of the players had the weekend off and he brought six of the South African test sides to come and play in this game. And it was fantastic. And then um we had uh we had then we had that night we had George Benson played at the ball. And um yeah it was it was there were great days they were because it was it was there was a lot of fun and um and, and another thing we had you know we raised a lot of money at these events for the, for various charities mainly for the um click which is Cancer and Leukemia in Children, which was the charity that Eddie was the patient of. And um, we raised a lot of money over the years from these events. I think we raised over 12 million quid um, over over that period of time. So, yeah, they, they, they were great days. I, I miss them. I miss them a lot. Yeah. Well, um, Charlie, you say they're great days and you say that you had lots of fun, but I know, and Joe knows as well, that running events organizing events just working at events is a very very stressful 
time as well. So, uh, you know, every, every all these stories, I'm sure, and especially the Beyonce one and so on, just I'm sure came at the time uh, with lots of stress and hassle. But it's amazing what I've noticed. And Joe, uh, when you meet Charlie and see him at these events, you'll you'll see he is the centre of the party and he is there. He was, you know, I know he's the one with Beyonce and the one with James Brown and the one with all these people running around and, and, and just being that face of it. And you... What, what you bring, Charlie, is you just bring enjoyment into the room, you know, and, uh, and, and it's a real quality to have when I know you're under great stress, I'm sure, at the time. But looking back at it and being nostalgic, it's like looking at holiday photographs, isn't it? You know, with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> the photos are great, you know. but It's why I look so nice <laughs> well that's a good question to lead into i mean how do you cope with that because there's look you're putting these events on you're selling tickets so there's there's a lot of stress in the involvement trying to get the artist booked if you if you're kind of hinging on them as well to an extent but there's also the risk as well you've got financial risk there you've got you know all sorts of supplier risk you've got you know, the actual all these insurance and all the invisible things you've got a tick yeah. off how do you kind of approach that and, and deal with that well, I, I, I mentioned my business partner, Paul Marshall, who was, a, I mean, probably the best salesman I've ever come across in my life. He was fantastic. And um, he, he, would, he would just sell the event like it was, it was just his bag. He was brilliant at it. And um, I think without him, I could never have done it anyway. And the two of us were, you know, as I said, we probably started off on the back of a fag packet and we you know we chanced a lot of it and uh, we took massive risks and uh but the rewards were became very good in the end and and had we not taken the risk we would never have got to where we got um but yes you're, you're right joe we would have to you know before we'd even got in a penny we'd have to contract with you know venues um you know marquee companies um, the artists um and and you know that's outlaying a lot of money before you've even got a one pound back um but you know fortunately it was a something that people wanted to come to people wanted to be involved with um as i said a lot of the sponsors um, of the teams bought tables and participated um and and so it, it all worked eventually but you're right. The out the outlay at the start was particularly stressful because you you know you don't know whether you're going to make any money. And uh, I mean the first the first ball we did at Stowe, you know we 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 lost we lost I think we lost about sixty grand. You know we but 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 we 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 created the the event. So we we knew we were probably going to take a loss, but then we knew if we made it good and created something new for that was in formula one then um it would it would then snowball and it did it just took off and, and, um, and charlie six, 60 grand you know sounds like a lot of money but ultimately when you think about just marketing budgets of companies and, and any company within formula one um you, you know that is you know it's not a loss it's an investment in the future and yeah. uh yeah. You, you know so and, and when you look at the big picture it uh you, you did the right thing but it's it's scary to th to think of losing those sums of money you know as a yeah. loss but i mean uh, no, mate yeah i mean in those days as well you know there wasn't the social media 
that we have now to sort of promote all these things. And, you know, as Darren alluded to earlier, you know, the way we promoted the event, we, we take a page advert out in F1 racing or autosport, you know, and hope that people would read it and ring the office and book a ticket. That's how we did it. Um, and it was, you know, had we had social media that we have now, poof, you know, it would have been very different. But um, so, so yeah, it was. To get back was, into it? Are, are you tempted to get back into uh, organizing those kind of events then? I'd love to do another one. I think, you know, um, and I was funny, I was talking to Paul about it the other day. We were reminiscing, and uh, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely do another one. Uh, and, and, you know, it, they were such of high quality. I'm not just saying that because we, we did them. We got them to such a high level. And when you think of some of the artists that we've had perform at these events, I mean, some of the top performers from the music world, um, which, which also helped sell the tickets, obviously. That was a huge help. Um, but Go on, sorry. it also seems to no no so I I love jumping in I always love interrupting people as, as Darren knows <laughs> so apologies apologies um, but also I was going to say these massive artists are also now from you know selling tickets to the ball but they're now being used to kind of sell tickets to F one and if you look at the grid now the grid walk before the race it is yeah. absolutely littered with celebs martin brundle has a job i mean when he's not getting ignored or pushed away by security guards i mean he, literally throw a dart and there's someone from music or art or acting i mean las vegas was probably the the biggest example of that this year um how how have you seen it and what do you feel about this now that f1 really is a big entertainment spectacle maybe similar to how wwe has become for wrestling I think I think it's I, I think it's fantastic now. I think that um, I think obviously that the Netflix series um, Drive to Survive has had a huge impact in bringing a whole new audience to Formula One, particularly the younger uh, generations. Um, it, it's funny, my my kids when I was when I was travelling and going to Formula One races, you know, and I'd say goodbye to them, you know. I uh, say, so don't forget to put the Grand Prix on this weekend, you know, sort of, yeah, yeah Dad, of course we will. Of course they never did. They never were interested in watching it. Of course, now they've watched the Netflix series and they're even tuning in to watch the, the free practice sessions. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. um, and that's, and I think that's true of a lot of that generation now have uh, created a huge new fan base for them. So I think they've been very clever there. And I think the entertainment side of people love to see these people, don't they, on the grid, you know, the, the famous, you know, basketball players, whatever, whatever they might be, the people we don't normally see in this country, you know, and the film stars. It's, it's, it's what Formula One has always been about and should be about because it's always had that glamour. The glamour it's the most popular yes. sport in the world. You know, yeah. there is no other sport like Formula One to, for glamour. Totally, totally agree. And these these actors and music stars what formula one realizes they are now bringing their own social media platforms to formula one so just literally a selfie on the grid and going out on their platforms is just like massive 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 and um i think 
guys, I'm sorry about this pinging. I've no idea how to switch it off. So uh, it'll be, it'll Charlie be, it'll be and featured. I are professionals, Darren. You know, <laughs> yeah. we... Come on, Darren. <laughs> oh, boys. You know, I do my best. That's all I can say. I think Charlie's so... going to be available for more podcasts next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, <clears throat> my voice is going. Ch- Charlie, there's one, one other note I wanted to ask you. Now, Joe and I, we're both big Formula One fans. We both love working in Formula One as well and having our own little stresses of the weekend. But also, we're, we're big James Bond fans as well. And I see you've got a little note about something that Simon Le Bon, who sang the theme tune to A View to a Kill, did at a Grand Prix ball as well. So I'm interested to know about that because anybody that sung a Bond theme for me is as big as a Formula One driver. 1985. <laughs> yeah we had we had um it was the silverstone we had tony tony hadley was up singing and uh it wasn't spandau it was just him and his band at the time and uh simon le bon was a guest of eddie's actually um at the ball and um he was there with yasmin and the, the we, he was supporting the charity actually as well he was very much involved with click i think at the time Anyway, and unbeknown to any of us, Simon just disappeared from the table. And the next minute, he appeared on stage with uh, Tony. And the two of them had planned all this, hadn't told any of us. And, uh, and they got up and sang, sang the song together. And then the place went mad because it was just so unexpected, impromptu. And, you know, and, then, and things like that at the ball was what we loved. We had a lot of stuff like that happen and um in fact we had in, in in monaco we had something similar happen uh we had um wycliffe jean was playing on the stage and uh next minute bono had come in to the ball at about 10 o'clock with some some of our sponsors and uh anyway wycliffe and next minute he's wycliffe's off the stage with his guitar on the table playing guitar while Bono's singing, um, singing, sitting down, I think he's singing the redemption song or something like that, in the <laughs> middle, of, the middle of the ballroom. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, you yeah, just wow. couldn't. In fact, the fact the following day, the I think it was the Financial Times, Saturday Financial Times, had a picture of this on the front page of um, Wycliffe and um, Bono singing at the Grand Prix Ball at uh, Monaco. I heard that he's going to be at Abu Dhabi Grand Prix next year. Really? Yeah, he's gone until November. Oh, wow. No, oh, it, oh it's, it's a Wycliffe, it's a Wycliffe that's joke. That's his it's famous just, oh. song, Gone Till November. Oh, I didn't know. Wrong crowd. Oh, no, I didn't know either. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great so, tune. It's a great tune. So t- talking about all these big artists, and it actually makes me feel a bit inadequate thinking, well, Bjorn again at the Grand Prix Ball, you know, you've got these amazing names and you had us one year. But I remember well, we standing up, on stage. Go on. We up the ante after you, mate. Oh, is that what you did? <laughs> he had budget. He had budget then. Oh, uh, and all, all, but all, but all, <laughs> all I did when I was playing on that stage was I just looked out and I could see Alan Prost and Ken Tyrrell, Johnny Herbert, and I, I was just in my total element. I can't remember one note I played on that gig, Charlie, at all. But it was it was a dream come true for me. But also, I um, you know, with these big artists, they do this F one rocks events now, don't they? Where they put massive festival stages in yeah. after show yeah. and and and. I know in Abu Dhabi they had Shania Twain on the Friday, uh, on the Saturday, sorry, and and Joe went to actually see uh, the Foo Fighters, didn't you, Joe, on Sunday, the yeah. on the Sunday after the race, 
And yeah. uh, the, the, these are just massive events in their own right. And um, Charlie, I'm sure it's all because of, let's say, what EJ was doing in the early 90s that you then turned into a glamorous ball to what has now turned into this massive, massive rock festival. You know, it's it's it, yeah. the, the journey of it all, I think, is fascinating and, within and to add, the world of music. Pro probably spawned things like Amber Lounge and things which, you know, we're in Monaco and Abu Dhabi. Is yeah. that right? Would you say, Charlie? Yeah, I, mean, I think all the, all these things, I think the two music and music and motorsport go so well together. Um, you know, the two just it's a perfect fit, isn't it? Um, and I'm amazed it hadn't, you know, when we first started the ball, no one, no one was doing it. It was extraordinary. We, we just, we lucked out, you know, no one was doing it. We stumbled across it and created it and, and took it on. And, you know, it was there, to, there for the taking really, but um, no one did it. And as you say, now it's huge, you know, you look at Abu Dhabi and some of the artists they've had, I mean, massive yeah. names. We yeah. Guns N' Roses, The Killers, you know, some big, big names now. Um, well, Abu Dhabi was my first Grand Prix, actually, that I went to, um, and that year was the Who. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable! And yeah. they played Magic Bus, which was very strange. <laughs> uh, well, we 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 um we had uh, we had James Brown one year playing oh, Monaco, um, and uh, I'll quickly tell you a funny story. We had so James Brown and and we you know. The, Monte Carlo Sporting Club, most beautiful venue. Um, don't know if you've ever been, but it, and we holds about six hundred people sitting down for dinner. And we got to the main part of the evening, which was James Brown about to come on stage, and I'm in the room sitting with my sponsor, and, and we're just waiting for the big build out. And this, this chap comes out on the stage. He goes, "Ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome the Godfather of Soul, Mr. James?" And then the drummer would go play this sort of drum roll for like 20 seconds anyway we we would then expect james brown to walk out on the stage but this went on for about 15 minutes and i'm thinking this isn't right there's something not right here <laughs> anyway sure enough there wasn't something right and and little did we know that going on behind the stage um we had a wonderful girl work for us at the time called naomi and she looked after all our logistics and she was brilliant amazing amazing lady and she 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 was trying to get James Brown to go on stage with his tour manager. The tour manager was having none of it because the the bus, the luggage bus that we'd sent to the airport to pick up all their kit, which was I mean huge. You know, imagine the amount of stuff they brought, um, was not the right size, and they had to put some stuff in a taxi and all this sort of stuff. So. He wasn't prepared for James Brown to go on stage until we had got the suitable transport arranged and thereby had paid for this upfront, whatever it was. Anyway, Naomi was just, she, well, we can't do that now. You know, he said, well, look, I'll tell you what, give me your engagement ring and your watch and I'll allow James to go on stage. So the poor girl. <laughs> to give him oh, her engagement God. ring and her watch and then eventually he appeared <laughs> and i was blissfully unaware of what was going on <laughs> this, Till is, after. this is like the 70s peter grant kind of manager stories that's amazing yeah i hope she still gets a christmas card 
Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, th these stories have been amazing. I mean, like, obviously, we love music. We're musicians. We work at events. Um, this yep. is a great marriage. I'm so happy I finally got to meet you, Charlie. Um, and I, I really look forward to meeting you uh, in the flesh. Or Dubai. Uh, we, we should do that. Um, yeah, absolutely, Joe. It's been, it's been a great pleasure meeting you. And, and Darren, I mean, mate, you know, he played for us in, in Monaco this year on the boat and, you know, blew the place to smithereens you know what a, what a refreshing thing it was to have you know that so many of the boats in monaco they have the same old thing going on it's the dj banging out DJ, the same old yeah. stuff and we had you know some sophistication is probably the best way of describing you, it. you said it not me <laughs> i just do my, i just do my thing charlie just do my thing it was i mean wonderful joe you you'll come this year next year hopefully anyway and and but you know the piano set up on the top deck of the yacht in Monaco. Oh yeah. With him playing with that backdrop. I mean, it doesn't get better, does it, mate? It doesn't uh, get better. It doesn't... Charlie, it was brilliant. I say we did it in Abu Dhabi as well. Uh, but yeah. but I have to say Mon Monaco de definitely had the backdrop. Abu Dhabi, I, I sort of had the bar behind me with a TV screen this time. So <laughs> the <laughs> but I was looking at the W Hotel and um, there was a red flag in FP2 and as the sun was coming down and I thought, you know what, I need to get on the piano and entertain whilst there's this red flag. So anyway, so, so I did that and then they basically did a green light about 15 minutes into my set and I, was, I should have stopped, but I was there basically playing whatever I was playing, something, I don't know, Tiny Dancer by Elton john or 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 whatever i was playing and um and these f1 cars were just coming by in front of me and i was serenading these cars and for me again it was like this dream country of the w hotel all lit up the sun going down formula one cars in front that was my audience i wasn't worried about any of the guests in the slightest it was amazing and and literally charlie the following day i started up and i kicked into rocket man didn't i joe and the whoever the um uae uh, Air Force display team are like the red Those arrows. The we have yeah. They just started oh, up and they just yeah. literally came over the top of the yacht with me right. singing Rocket Man. And I just thought, who these th like that happened for me, and 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 I, it's dreams come true. Uh, you know, you talk about all the big rock stars and things happening. Just, they're impromptu things that you can never create. And yeah, this is the so magic of, of events, really, any type of event. You don't know what's going to happen. But if you can bring the right people together in the right situations, you know, you, you honestly, for me, dreams have come true. And Charlie, I have to thank you for that. And Joe, I have to thank you for that, too, as well, with all the Paddock Club work. So it's a uh, boys. This is well, great to have you both here. Dream it's, so, it's, so, it's so true that, you know, the impromptu stuff is, is, is what makes things like that thing that happened with Tony Hadley and Simon Le Bon and with Bono and and and. We, we used to have, before the, as the balls would start, we would get a few drivers would, would come to the events, but literally for half an hour, because their sponsors would use one of their sponsor appearances to come and be part of, part of it. And, you know, it was great for us to have a few drivers knocking around. So we'd always create a driver's activity, but we never really, you know, again, we did it by the seat of our pants, really. And one we did at Silverstone was a, we had this dodging, Dodgem car set up. We had David Coulthard, Johnny Herbert, Frenson, Fizzy Keller. Um, I think we had Jos Verstappen in the in in a car in a Dodgem car, and we sold places to people to sit with a Formula One oh, driver. Fantastic! Yeah. And they paid lots of money to do this. And then, but the the competition was that the the person who 
bought the place to sit next to the driver. The Formula One driver was driving the dodging car. She had, or he had to hold a jug of water, right? Now imagine doing that these days. So a jug of water in a dodging health car. Health and safety. Health and safety. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And we had all these, you know, <laughs> these, these these hugely, you know, expensive Formula One drivers driving the dodging car. Water flying everywhere. It was electrified. Bloody- dodgems as well yeah absolutely oh, totally. i mean okay. we you know they all lived it was stuff like that that we just created these fun things for these formula one drivers to do which people had never seen happen before and you can't you can't do that anymore sadly but they, that, that was a you know, being able to do that in those days was a was a wonderful thing to be able to do well, it's so amazing that you've been involved with that and entertaining audiences all these years and um, we doth our cap, uh, Charlie. And uh, we thank you so much for taking out the time. Um, quickly, um, do you, what are you up to these days? I mean, is there anything you want to tell the audience what you're up to and anything that you've got to promote? Not really. We're, 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 we're planning for next year's Grand Prix, particularly Monaco and Abu Dhabi, because that's where we can have our own um, yacht. Um, and we'll obviously be utilizing the services of a, the man in the middle there. Um, but um, yeah, no, we, we and funnily enough, it, it's this year, we don't, we seem to have the same people wanting to come back, which is great. Um, so we, we haven't really had to sort of try and sell any places. It's, it's people are ringing us saying, can we please book on the boat and come and have a fun weekend, which is what it's all about really. And, and, we just want people to come and have a good time and and i think monaco particularly is you know it seems to be the jewel in the crown isn't it but it's yeah i think we get i think the thing i love about monaco it's a bit like doing the grand prix ball i love the kick i used to get out of it was seeing people have a great time and i think monaco is a bit like that that probably 75 percent of the people come to monaco not to watch the racing they come because of the whole atmosphere of the place and the, and there is in that harbor an incredible atmosphere darren isn't there it's a, it's an it's a unique experience and well it, it, it it's out it's unbelievable and you said it's the jewel in the crown so everybody is at the peak of their enjoyment really because everybody you know when you know you're going if anybody's ever just driven through monaco on holiday it's you're just there and you can go drive around the hairpin and under the tunnel and there's just these iconic worlds of formula one history to be to be there is so exciting let alone having the events and everything put on to build it up and up and up and the the the, the big the big showcase obviously is the race you know but uh, it's just one massive massive party basically but my favorite memory charlie is getting the speedboat in every morning into the circuit (laughs) we didn't we didn't turn up by taxi we turned up by speedboat and it it was just awesome mate yeah it's it's a special place and um you know i think people definitely create memories going there and uh, and i've seen it for many i've done the monaco grand prix now for 28 years and um and i've you know i still to this day love seeing the look on people's faces who've never been before as they're coming on into the harbor on us on the tender and they look up that at could all be these me people. that could be me charlie i've not <laughs> seen it yet i've not been so... yeah and see it's... that again you know what to do <laughs> 
Yeah, but you'll be lugging his equipment. <laughs> yeah, that's the, uh, yes, Mr. Reeves. Yes, Mr. Reeves. No, look down, look down, don't look up. Yeah. Um, no, what, uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if we, we do that, we get it all going, we'll do an episode from the boat and we'll get you on there with uh, some other guests who come on. But um, I think it's been amazing to hear these stories. Thank you so much, Charlie, for joining us. Uh, we, we always say uh, take care at the end. We always say take care at the end. Let's see if we can do it in unison. So we'll do a goodbye from us and then we'll say take care. It's a little funny thing we do. Um, join us for our next F1 story with a special guest, which we haven't revealed yet um but i'm sure it will come soon and certainly once we get through charlie's roller decks uh, we're gonna have plenty more uh, <laughs> plenty more people to talk about f1 with but for now it's uh bye from me joe lee and it's goodbye from me darren reeves and charlie feather and take, care. take take care take <laughs> care <laughs> we messed it up completely boys but that's 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 part of the plan that's right sure let's do one fun. more time is it this this is it mate this is it right okay here we go <laughs> so bye from me, Joe Lee. It's goodbye from me, Darren Reeves. Goodbye from me, Charlie Feather. Take care. Take, Take care. care.